You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Our scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. And every priest stands day after day serving and offering the same sacrifices again and again, sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when this priest has offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God where he is now waiting until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are made holy. And the Holy Spirit also witnessed to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will establish with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will inscribe them on their minds. Then he says, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no longer. Now, where there is forgiveness of of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Kiddos, if you would like, head on back to Kids Church. Um, Our kids are always welcome to stay in here and hang out with us um, if that's where they prefer to be or if that's where you prefer them to be. Um, But we also love for them to go back with our wonderful volunteers um, who do a great job and give a lot of their time and energy to shaping and forming the imaginations of our kids. Um, We want to make sure that we are creating a place where they know and understand that They're valuable in and of themselves, that God actually values and cares for them. Um, That's important that we uh, just continually remind uh, remind them of that. So Um, anyways, we gather Sunday after Sunday to confess and praise and proclaim a crucified Galilean, That, that this crucified Jew is Lord of the cosmos. And consequentially, Lord of, like, our own hearts and lives. In fact, this confession stands at the center, at the heart of our faith. It is the linchpin. God died. When we consider what is common to the people of God throughout the history of the church, it is this. It is God crucified. It's the Easter story. It's Good Friday and 
Easter Sunday. This is the good news. And I wonder sometimes if we, that's a collective universal we, not necessarily we in this room, but right, the collective universal we also includes the we in this room. I wonder if we are not tempted to lose this. To replace the centrality of a crucified God, both here in like our regular gathering to worship week after week together, but also like in the confession of our own personal lives lived out on Monday through Saturday. And I wonder more, what if we did? What would we lose if we lost the centrality of this crucified God? Who might Jesus become if we say he's something other than this God on a cross. In fact, I think it when we look at so much of what ails the church, so much that uh, so many of us look at and can clearly see, whatever it is, is not representative of the heart and soul of Jesus. I think at the heart of that decay of the church in America in 2022, we will find a denial of a crucified God, a crossless faith, a God of power and might, but not a God of suffering and death. I also believe that if we cling to this in all of its fullness, this this clearest revelation of, of who God has made God's self known to be in suffering and in death, I think we'll find hope in what otherwise might feel like a really hopeless place. So the last several weeks, we've embarked on a journey to kind of dig up and unearth these ancient wellsprings of faith, these sources of water to drink from in a wasteland of life. Um, The idea for this series was birthed out of my heart as your pastor, One of the things I spend a good amount of time doing is thinking and praying about who y'all are and what God is doing in your lives. Where is God meeting you where you're at? And, And trying to help cultivate and shape an imagination to help you see that, to open your heart up to it, to to never ignore it or push it away. And in these stories, I know that so many of you are hanging on by a thread. And I want to reassure you this morning that that's okay, right? I know it stinks. I know it's not enjoyable. I know you're not like, yay, I'm so glad I'm hanging on by a thread. But I want you to know, like, God doesn't go, man, I wish you could just uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and have a little bit more faith. I wish you'd get it together and, and trust me a little bit more. No, I want you to know that God cares deeply about you and rejoices at the fact that there's a thread there still. Many of you have experienced a great deal of personal hurt by communities of faith that have demonstrated a commitment to racism, misogyny, and nationalism over a commitment to a crucified God. In short, they've committed to power. Not the power of the God as demonstrated in a crucified Jesus, but the power of the world. Still others are bearing just the wounds of living in a broken world. Barren wounds, poverty, unanswered prayers, loneliness, sickness, addiction. 
It leaves us with a shadow of doubt, a, a question of, God, where are you in the midst of all of this? Why does God continue to allow my suffering? And still, other, others of us, maybe quietly, are suffocated by our failures. Either those from the past or those ones that we are still struggling with this morning even. These failures that so desperately just pursue us and try to define us and try to consume us and try to pull us down. They're trying to claim us as their own, trying to name us and forever tarnish our life. Today, my sermon is is really simple. I want to remind all of us this morning that God's answer to our doubts, to our suffering, to our failure is God's dying. This makes our temptation to shy away from the cross, to, to sanitize its heinous nature, its grotesqueness, all the more troubling. But we should know that this temptation is not a new temptation. Right? It's, in fact, a common feature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul himself writes about this very thing. In his day, humanity sought power in divine intervention, the miraculous, God breaking into the world and doing miraculous things. Show us a sign. Or they sought power in wisdom and knowledge. If we could just achieve the right amount of knowledge, then we could become better than the world around us. We could have the power. And so the cross in the face of these two things is ludicrous. A God who apparently refuses to save God's self. A God who apparently doesn't understand that logically it makes no sense to conquer suffering by being uh, suffering. And so he says this in 1 Corinthians, verse 22. Jews demand miracles and Greeks seek wisdom, yet we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. But to both, it's the power and the wisdom of God. This same apostle goes on in his letter to the Romans to say, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. It is God's power of salvation for anyone who will entrust themselves to it. How can a grotesque, shameful, scandalous death be God's power? Well, avoiding this reality denies the very God who's revealed God's self on the cross. And so we face a number of temptations that seek to take Christ off the cross, to remove him. We, like the crowds of people, if you're really the Messiah, come down from there. Save yourself. Come off that cursed tree. We misunderstand the nature of God and his power to save. And we will begin to recognize this when we begin to notice that the crucified God has been removed from the centerpiece of our identity as a group of people and as individuals in that group. The thing that defines the life of the church is the crucified Jesus. To deny this is to deny who God is and who God has made God's self known to be, the dying God. 
And this was Christ's goal from the beginning. Right? The reason we celebrate Christmas is because God became human. But the reason that God became human was to die. And so God's uniting himself to us is, yes, God taking on our stuff, but it's also God taking on our mortality. The cursed nature of the human condition. We all live under the curse of sin, a, a power that is oppressing the world, one that we are contributing to, whether knowingly or unknowingly. And we know this because the fruit of sin is death, and every single person dies. Uh, I think sometimes we can get this confused, and we hear these passages from Romans that are kind of hit over uh, people's heads. And when Paul says the wages of sin is death, what we hear is the punishment of sin is death. The wages is something that you go to work for and earn and look forward to. <laughs> That's what a wage is. No one gets their paycheck from their boss and is like, oh, here's my monthly punishment. And we've somehow twisted that. And Paul goes on to like in great depth explain, no, 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 here's what I mean. If you serve this type of master, here's what you should expect from them. The wages of sin is death. It's not because God is out there striking us dead because of our rebellion against him. Um, we can talk more about this if you're interested. But there is a very real reality that part of what it means to be human is we are living under the curse of death. And the reason we are living under the curse of death is because we are willfully participating in a system of death. What we need to hear is that when God becomes human, he takes on the cursed nature of humanity, willingly. And there's no clearer picture of humanity's destiny apart from God than the decaying stench of death. If we could find one thing in the world to look at and go, what is it like to separate myself from a loving and good and gracious creator? It's a corpse. And I know that this is uh, repulsive and gross and probably not like the hopeful, like, rah-rah sermon you may have been needing to hear this morning. But I promise there's actually really good news here. And so we can't shy away from it. Because what we're really tempted to do is to take death and like sanitize it and glorify it and be like, oh, well, actually what death is, is it's really just a graduation ceremony, right? And we should celebrate death as a good thing. And like we go as far, right? And I'm not saying we shouldn't do any of this, but like we go as far to like putting makeup on corpses to make them kind of look sort of alive again. And then we say things like, she looks so good. She looks so bad, or death is a bad thing. It is a problem. It is God's enemy. Because God cares for us, the ones who are cursed to die. And so severing ourselves from the God of life, setting ourselves against God as God's enemy, leads us to death.
And so this makes Christ's death all the more paradoxical and all the more powerful. While we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. And so we will face the temptation to remove God from the cross in one way or another. One way that we will do this is we will be tempted to diminish Christ's death into like uh, an unfortunate mistake or accident. And some of the ways that we might do this is we might frame this rightly speaking of, oh, and the, the empire of like violence has overcome Jesus. These religious and political empires that conspired to act together to kill God have done it. But in talking about this this way, which is a good way to talk about it, we have to be careful that we make it very clear Injustice did not overcome God. God willingly gave himself over to injustice. God did not crumble under the weight of an injustice that he couldn't bear. He entered into it. He willingly gave himself over, handed himself over to the violence and the hatred and the oppression of the empire. He became the oppressed to save the oppressed, to rescue the oppressed. Not because he couldn't do anything about it. No, on the contrary. And we see him talking about this. Uh, His best friend John very clearly speaks about this in John 12. Jesus says, now is my soul troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for this purpose that I came into this world. Purpose is to die. No one takes my life from me, he says elsewhere in John, but I freely lay it down out of my own desire. And by the way, this also speaks to some of the toxic ways that we've talked about the cross. That that this is somehow a, a good and loving father abusing their child to death for our sake, and oh, what a wonderful picture of love. Let's be really careful here. God the Father gives his son over to death. Yes, absolutely. God the Father does not murder his son. Those are two very different things. And the thing that stands at the center of that is the will of Jesus Christ who says, I freely give my life over of my own accord. This is my decision. This is my choice. I give, I, I give my life freely for you. Again, we can talk. Let's have coffee. This was not a mistake. It's not a tragic accident. This is not some like good and gracious teacher that was misunderstood and therefore like put to death. And God's like, oh man, what are we going to do now? I don't know. I guess we'll make some lemonade out of lemons. Now, this was always the plan. This was always coming. And so as we doubt, as we question, as we wrestle with God, we ought to wrestle with the God who's been forsaken by God. We wrestle with the God of the cross. The God who dies for doubters. The God who freely gives himself over for doubters. 
The God who enters the darkness of death for doubters. God does not give God's self for the faithful, for the righteous, but for the enemy, for the sinner, for the faithless. And this certainly includes me and all of those like me who wrestle with our doubts. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so this self-giving is rooted in God's love. Even in our doubt, God cares for us deeply. And this love is deeper and more powerful than perhaps we could ever imagine. And so our second temptation is we'll be tempted to reduce God's death to a picture of love, diminishing the very act of love that it enacts on our behalf. Here's what I mean by this. Christ is actually really doing something for us on the cross. This is not just some sort of example. This is not just like, hey, you want to know how much God loves you? Look, he's going to die. Like, you know, something is actually happening here. Something like on the metaphysical level, something mysterious, something supernatural. God is breaking into the world. God is breaking into death. God is breaking into injustice and violence and doing something to it. And so we have to resist the temptation to limit God's dying to a mere picture of love. It is not just a picture, brothers and sisters. It is real, tangible, concrete love enacted on our behalf. It is not just a metaphor. It is not just an image. It is real love. Let's not strip it of its substance. If we don't acknowledge and give ourselves to the finality, the actualness, the necessity of this death, we're actually diminishing the love. We're turning the volume down on it in ways that are unhelpful. Listen again to our text for today in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 11. Every priest stands day after day, serving and offering the same sacrifices again and again, sacrifices that can never take away sins. Right? You have this picture of a priest in the temple who takes a sacrifice, kills it, prepares it, offers it up, Kills another one, prepares another one, offers it up, goes to bed, wakes up, next thing, next day, same thing, over and over and over and over, spends their lives offering sacrifices. And not a single one of those is actually doing a thing about sin. Verse 12. But when this priest, that's Jesus had offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. He didn't get up the next day. He sat down at the right hand of God. His work was done. Where he now is waiting until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are made holy. And the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will establish with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts, and I will inscribe them on their minds. You will be a different type of human. 
Then he says, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no longer. Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. The work of Jesus is done. It's finished. And it's done something for us. There's like real finality here. There's accomplishment here. This is not just some sort of picture. This is aimed directly at not only forgiving our sins, though it absolutely does that, but in changing the types of people we are, perfecting us, making us holy like he is holy, making us like him. Look again, verses 12 through 14. But when this priest had offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God, where he is now waiting until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has, past tense, perfected for all time those who are made holy. If they'll obey me, right? God's response to our sin is love. This is what the cross tells us. And so ironically, if we make the work of Christ anything less than his dying for our sins in a way that actually does something about it, actually accomplishes something for us, then we diminish that love. And it's God's love enacted on our behalf. And because of this, it is God's answer to our suffering. It is God's answer to our question, God, where are you or where were you? It is God standing alongside of us in our darkest moments. The suffering of the world does not have God's fingerprints on it. No, 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 there's someone else's fingerprints on that. Christ's act of suffering displays that God sees and knows what we are enduring and has actually entered into it. He doesn't stand at a distance. He enjoins himself to our suffering. Until that day, he waits until his enemies are finally made his footstool. So one of the things that we can like practically do in our suffering, in our doubt, in those moments where we go, God, where are you? We can look to the cross and we can look to the God who died and rose again and who's seated at the right hand of the Father where the scriptures tell us we are also seated with him, awaiting the final vanquishing of the enemy of sin and death. Number three, the last temptation that we will be tempted to make is to make the death of God an easy, trivial thing. Right? It's one of the reasons why I'm talking about this in such strong language. I'm not saying Jesus died on the cross. Of course it was Jesus that died on the cross, but I'm saying this in a way that's hopefully jarring you a little bit. When I say God died, it hopefully goes, whoa, wait, what? No, no, actually, God died. 
And we become over-familiar with this. We begin to trivialize it. We begin to like, oh, yeah, of course he did. Like, he had to. But it was fine because he was God. It was no big deal. And we can, like, so, like, elevate the divinity of Jesus that we can actually, like, eradicate his humanity. Because he wasn't actually human in any real, like, meaningful way. He just kind of looked like one. This is, like, one of the earliest things that the church wrestles with. He wasn't really human. He didn't really suffer. He was just, like, play-acting, Right? The church very strongly is like, no, 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 Like, he was really suffering because he was really one of us. That was a couple sermons ago. But I want to point to, like, right, we've maybe over-glorified the physical torture that Jesus endured. Um, and we've talked a lot about some of the emotional torture that Jesus endured, right, the shame, the humiliation uh, one of the things that's glossed over so much in our culture when we talk about Jesus' dying is the fact that he was stripped of all of his clothes. And as shameful as that would have been for us, it would have been incredibly shameful for a Middle Eastern man to be hung up naked on a cross. This was not just a death that was inflicting like pain. This was a humiliating, dehumanizing death. But one of the things that we don't often talk about is the suffering of the cross was surely also spiritual. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are not empty words. Jesus enters into humanity's cursed state, into the reality of our sinfulness and our rebellion against God. Being sinless, Jesus willingly gives himself over to sin and to the cursed reality of humanity and death. And in doing this, Jesus enters into what we might call hell or anything that represents it for all of humanity, becoming sin for our sake, as Paul says in another letter to the Corinthian church. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that in him we might become God's righteousness. No, we cannot shy away from this. Jesus has actually and really entered into our failures as well. We're not disappointments to God. Surely, that also doesn't mean God is like approving of every self-destructive thing that we do. But God's response to our, like, making him our enemy is not to destroy us. And it's also not to be like, sure, it's fine, whatever, YOLO, right? I'm sorry, that was so 2006-ish. <laughs> you know, God's response is neither to destroy us and it's not to just go, yeah, it's fine. You know, God's response is the cross. I will destroy I will take your failure on me for you. And in this, God has outstretched his arms and loved each and every one of us. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, let me make you whole. Let me cleanse your soul. Let me take your cursedness and give you blessings. 
Let me take your death and give you life. So we can't give this up. The death of God is shameful. It's distasteful. It's inglorious. But it's the power of God to meet us in our doubts and our sufferings and in our failures and to give us hope in place of despair. Holiness in place of unrighteousness and life in place of death. He's been cursed so that we can be blessed. He's become like us so that we might become like him. He dies our death so that we can inherit his life. And so my last point this morning is this. So this dying God and his work of suffering and dying are the foundation of our faith and our very lives. This is the event on which our lives are called to revolve around. The one where we're able to recognize that God has received us and made us whole and also recognize what God is like and what God has called us to be like. And so this week in your hub groups, I want to ask you to explore this together. To gaze together at the crucified God and consider how this reality changes everything for you. Or maybe wrestle with how it doesn't quite yet. And that's okay too. There's space for that. I'll send out some questions to guide your discussion and prayer. And if you're looking for a safe space to explore Jesus, to explore like this question, how God might meet you in your doubts and your suffering and your failure, we want to help you. You can head over to redemptionhou.com slash today. It sounds like a commercial now. Um, but like, no, practically, like there's a link there you can click that is like, I, I want to find one of these groups to discuss this this week. Uh, if you scroll down, there's uh, a thing that says what's going on and just click the photo that says we love togetherness. We'll help you find one of these groups. You can grab me after the service. You can grab anyone sitting around and be like, hey, tell me more about your group. Like, I want to have this conversation. I want to pray. I want to spend some time reflecting on this. I don't want to just move on from this conversation this morning and go about my day. I don't want to live a life that's trying to remove Jesus from the cross. This is really good news if we will let it be. Um, next week, we will, or two weeks from now, we will talk about resurrection. Um, but in our haste to rush to resurrection, we can't skip over crucifixion. Because in order for Jesus to be risen again, he had to first die. Let's pray. Jesus, the, the nature of your willingness to give yourself up for us, to become one of us, to actually really tie your destiny together with ours is astounding. Will you let us sit in that mystery? Will you let us worship out of that mystery? Will you let us be profoundly captivated and won over with a real sense of your love for us because of that mystery? 
you captivate us in this paradox of not only a God who dies, but a God who dies for us. And our weakness and our disinterest and our doubt and our questions and our failures and our outright rebellion, you still choose to die for me and for each person here. fix our eyes on this this week. We allow us the next few moments to do our best to respond to you in real and actual worship. We love you, Lord. Thank you for giving yourself. Thank you for loving us. like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor, or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.